Hello, and welcome back to The Well-Read Investor, the podcast that profits your mind and your money. We were thrilled with the response for our first episode and really cannot thank you enough for tuning in on our journey for us to all become well-read investors. We're delighted today to have Professor Melanie Mitchell on the program. Melanie is the Davis Professor of Complexity at the Santa Fe Institute and Professor of Computer Science at Portland State University. Her latest book, Artificial Intelligence, A Guide for Thinking Humans, is our focus today. And besides being generally brilliant and a consistent innovator in her field, one of Melanie's best attributes is her ability to explain difficult subjects clearly, which I think you'll hear throughout this interview. Long ago in my analyst days, Melanie's book, Complexity, A Guided Tour, now widely considered a classic and introduction to the topic, totally changed the way I thought about capital markets. Away from what's traditionally taught in economics and finance textbooks and towards the field of complex system, which I believe to be vital. You'll hear Melanie's views on just what complexity actually is, how it works, and how artificial intelligence plays a role. In fact, Melanie helped originate the Santa Fe Institute's Complexity Explorer, an online learning platform related to the field of complex systems, which I believe I was among her very first students of better than a decade ago, has now been taken by over 25,000 people and was listed by Course Central as one of the top 50 online courses of all time. And if you're wondering, I studied hard and passed the course on the very first try. This conversation goes everywhere. We'll talk about separating artificial intelligence hype from reality, how AI is used in investing today, and toward the end we'll even get into some weird stuff like the nature of general intelligence and the uses of analogical thinking. Enjoy. Professor Melanie Mitchell, author of the new book, Artificial Intelligence, A Guide for Thinking Humans. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a genuine thrill to have you on here. From the way I've always approached markets, it's been from what we call a top-down method, which means it takes into account really complexity science's argument that there are things happening at the systematic level that don't happen at the stock level, and that you ought to look at the macro economy first before you look at other pieces. And so Your newest book, which has gotten pretty near universal praise as far as I've been able to tell, is a very level-headed view of artificial intelligence. Pretty much anywhere I go in the world, people ask about artificial intelligence and what investors are doing with that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested? What brought you in? I've always been fascinated by thinking I don't know exactly how it started, but when I was a kid, I loved to do like logic puzzles, but I always tried to think, how was I doing them? I think that interest persisted as I went on in my education. But what really got me into AI was reading one of Douglas Hofstadter's books, Gödel Escherbach, which probably a lot of listeners have seen. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people have actually read. It's a pretty dense book. But it was really about how intelligence can emerge from a non-intelligent substrate of the brain and what intelligence really means. And when I read that, I I thought, this is really what I want to study. And then that was the impetus for me actually getting in touch with Hofstetter and telling him that I wanted to work with him and getting a PhD. You know, one question we always ask our guests is, why should well-read investors read your book? Well, as you said, artificial intelligence is taking over a lot of people's thinking about how to make decisions. And investing is all about making decisions. 
and understanding patterns, understanding people, understanding intelligence. <laughs> and so my book is really about how modern artificial intelligence works, how well it does in many different areas, and how it compares with human intelligence. And then that requires getting into what do we mean when we talk about intelligence and what kinds of intelligence are uniquely human and what kinds of intelligence could machines acquire. So I think anybody who really wants to know what's going on in current AI could read my book and get a pretty good understanding of the field. And it's meant to be accessible to anyone, not just people who have some experience in the field. Without a doubt, I would say one of the touchstones of your career is that you have a tremendous ability to communicate these things to laypersons, especially as investors, because in the investing world, you really have to be sort of a polymath. You have to think about politics and all sorts of other things, psychology and, of course, technology. And so I personally found your book very illuminating in that way. In sum, where would you say is the state of AI at the moment relative to how people have been thinking about it with the hype? Yeah, that's a great question. AI nowadays mostly means what people call deep learning, which is using a kind of brain-inspired computer method called neural networks to learn from huge amounts of data. And the deep part refers to the number of layers in the network. So these neural networks are inspired by the brain. The brain has different layers of neurons through which information is processed with, in some sense, the information processing getting more and more complex as the layers go up. And deep neural networks are a way of sort of simulating that in a very rough sense. They are given examples, like for instance, if you wanted to do facial recognition, they would be given lots of examples of faces and then asked to predict who the face is and then told whether or not they're right or wrong. And then they change lots of things about the neural network, like the strengths on the connections between the simulated neurons, and do that millions and millions of times, and then they get very good at this task. So the state of these networks is they're quite good at certain narrow tasks, but there's no general AI in the way that humans can do lots of different tasks, and we're pretty good at taking what we learn and applying it in different areas. That's something that's lacking in these systems. It's very discrete knowledge, is it not? It's very task-specific what AI can do. That's uh, right. So, So you can get a machine that can, say, transcribe your speech, but it doesn't actually understand the speech that it's transcribing, so it can't take what it transcribed and reason about it. Yeah, that's truly amazing. And to go a little more broad, a lot of your career has not obviously just been in artificial intelligence. You've been very involved in what I would call the complexity sciences. And in particular, you're going to spend, I think, the next year at the Santa Fe Institute. And you've been very involved in that. How would you explain complexity to someone who really hasn't heard of it or know much about it at the moment? Because complexity sciences are things that investors should know about, but very, very few have any concept of what that means. Complex systems is a kind of umbrella field for a lot of different sciences in which you're studying systems that have relatively simple components, like think about the brain with all of its neurons. And there's a lot of these components, like 100 billion neurons, and they're interacting with each other. And they're interacting in various ways, like neurons are connected to other neurons with different strengths of connections and so on. And so out of this whole giant system, emerges some phenomena that we're interested in, like intelligence. Individual neurons are not intelligent. Even small groups of neurons are not intelligent. But somehow this 
behavior or phenomenon emerges out of this substrate. That's kind of a definition of a complex system. In finance, you might have, for instance, bubbles and crashes in markets. And sometimes they're hard to predict because... I would say that's an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, they're emergent phenomenon from this complex systems of individuals and companies and traders and maybe computers all interacting in this complex way. So complexity is the science of this kind of emergent phenomenon across disciplines. And people are really interested in looking at general principles that come out of all of these different phenomena. If we can sort of say, are there some general principles or general laws that we can uncover to make sense of all these different complex systems that we encounter? In the investing world, people are very interested in neural networks, particularly, I think, for the feedback component of it, which is that these things, they claim to learn over time. And as they learn, they're going to get better at what they do. But what are the limitations in that? What is the real reality of that? So it depends what you mean by learn. (laughs) So in neural networks, what learning means is what's called supervised learning. That is that you give the system examples that are labeled. That is, let's say I want to learn the difference between photos of cats and photos of dogs. I have lots of photos of cats that are labeled by a human as cat. Some human has said, this is a cat or this is a dog. And the network makes a prediction. And then the supervised part is that that prediction is compared with the label and the weights between connections in the network are changed depending on whether it got it right or wrong. But the key is that every example, every piece of data has to have a label. So if I'm trying to teach a, say, a self-driving car what a stop sign is, I have to have lots of photos or videos of stop signs that some human has said, this is a stop sign. In the real world, it's hard to get data that's labeled. It's easy to get data, but very little of it is actually labeled, and it can be quite expensive to get humans to label all this data. So that's a difference from human learning. Humans, their learning is mostly unsupervised. You don't, you know, teach a two-year-old how to talk by writing a label on every single object in your house. The two-year-old just learns from listening. In the economy, especially in the stock market, you have humans making real-time decisions, learning in real-time, adapting and moving. Based on where the state of AI really is, is it reasonable to think that people can take economic data, feed them into neural networks? Because some of it could be labeled, I suppose, and it probably is labeled. Could a neural network suss out patterns that humans couldn't necessarily see, let's say, in the economy? I think they can. And I think the way to think about it, people might be familiar with statistical modeling, Mm -hmm. which has been going on in finance for as long as it's been around. And neural networks, or most machine learning systems, are essentially making statistical models. It's just they're bigger, they're able to deal with more data. Because of the size of them, they're able to build statistical models that maybe could pick up patterns that humans can't see. I think that's very likely. The problem is that sometimes the data is allowing them to learn things that are not the thing you wanted them to learn. Yeah, I find that to be a real problem because you actually have to define what you want it to find as well in very many cases because you still need a human to define the outcome or to have some sort of recognition of what the outcome was. And it seems to be a very important part of it. Exactly. You have to define what people call the objective function, which is like, what is it that you want this system to learn? But that can also be very tricky. Suppose you want to train a system to decide whether a photo has an animal in it or not. Okay, we had a big data set of photos, nature photos. Some of them had animals, some of them didn't. The deep neural network learned really well 
to decide whether a photo had an animal in it. But then we looked into why it was making the decisions it made, sort of what features was it using. And it turned out that in a lot of cases, it wasn't looking at the animal at all. It was looking at the background because the data, the photographs, if there was an animal in them, the photographer had focused on the animal and the background was blurry. And if there was no animal, the photograph was just kind of a landscape photo and the background was not blurry. And so it was using this cue, which was not what we wanted it to learn at all, to make its decisions. So that's a real problem in machine learning is trying to get the system to actually learn the concept you want it to learn rather than other things that it can spot in the data. On that note, because one of the things, just the chief problems in the work of investing is the problem of adaptation, because it's not just about recognition of a pattern. It's, it's about that the patterns, in fact, not only do they show chaotic elements and they don't work out every time, but in fact, the patterns may change over time. Certain things that you thought worked in investing 20 years ago may not any longer because, at least in my opinion, prices are adaptive mechanisms. And so is it realistic, especially given the state of things today, that AI is anywhere near truly the ability to tackle those sorts of huge problems? I mean, one of the things you say in your book is you're talking about, can AI even match the level of a single human? And some people are trying to apply these things to huge, huge economic problems. These systems are not good at adapting. They're good at recognizing patterns and data they've been given. But if the distribution changes of the data, they can't really adapt very well. There's a whole area in machine learning called transfer learning, which is the problem of getting a machine that learns in one regime to transfer its knowledge to a new regime that you know, is related to the old regime. And this is still a big open problem, how to do this. So transfer learning is what in humans we call learning. <laughs> that is when you learn something, you're able to transfer it to different situations. AI, that's still a big challenge. And I think it's one of the biggest open challenges in the field. So if I'm hearing you right, it's a, there's something of a problem of generalization and abstraction, or, or at least transference to, to other things, which is very much a problem of finance as well, always has been. But I know, too, you've worked, especially in the earlier part of your career, on analogical thinking, analogy. And when things become abstract, because when you try to explain something to an investor, you often have to use analogies just to get the point across because the markets are so abstract. What are, in your mind, some of the pitfalls of analogical thinking when people make mistakes thinking by analogy? How do they do that? So analogy is both the source of our intelligence, I think, and also some of its biggest pitfalls. Mm -hmm. So getting a computer to do that <laughs> is really the challenge. Uh, is it something that computers would, would or should aspire to in your mind? I think it's the only way to make computers intelligent. Hmm. This is something that I worked on, as you say, at the beginning of my career. My PhD advisor, Douglas Hofstadter, who has written extensively about analogy. And in fact, he wrote a paper called Analogy is the Core of Cognition. And analogy is what underlies all our concepts. It's a very human thing. It's not an objective thing, an analogy. It's a very human thing. It's sort of a subjective experience being communicated. Would you agree? Yeah, I do agree. It's how we apply our experiences to our past, to our future. So that's a huge problem in investing because, for example, if I were explaining inflation to someone, I would say, well, you can think of inflation as sort of like a freight train. It takes a while to get its head up of steam, but once it gets going, it's hard to stop. And in fact, that's based on prior experiences as much as it is anything else. And it may not be that way in the future. And yet I can just tell you that a lot of people in our industry just understand it that way. And it's more of a feeling 
of an analogy than it is, let's call it a, a numerical type of knowledge. And I think that still just pervades in our industry. And I don't see how it goes away. I think it's a part of human intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. This is how a lot of cognitive scientists theorize that we think is that we have these models in our brains somehow that we can simulate. So when you talk about inflation, a very abstract concept, and you make that analogy with a freight train, I have kind of a model of how a freight train works. And I can kind of run that model and make predictions. So I could say, even if you said, didn't tell me the second part, which is, you know, it's hard to stop it. That's part of my model of a freight train. So now I apply that to inflation. I say, okay, I see it. It's hard to stop inflation. It's got a whole lot of momentum. Right. Right. And that, that itself is a kind of a metaphor using the idea of momentum, which is about movement for this abstract idea. And there's so much information communicated in it. In fact, you may not even be aware of what you're really communicating because there's so much there and the other person has to bring their model to it and so forth, which I've always felt is just an amazing problem of markets that everyone has that slightly different view of everything. And what you get ultimately is that represented in a price ought to be a fuller amount of information, at least theoretically, about what people believe. But on that note, what are the bad analogies for AI? Yeah, so the bad analogy that we humans make about AI is that it's like us. And it's almost impossible not to make that analogy. We make that with even with our dumb computers, you know. Yeah. We say, oh, it doesn't want to do such and such. Or, you know, we, we sort of impute human characteristics or human emotions onto these machines. Sometimes makes them trust it more than they should. And that's a bad idea because AI is really nothing like that today. That's absolutely correct. Even, you know, we can get fooled by these chat bots, for example, these these systems that can chat with us. And they sound fairly human, but doesn't have the same kind of knowledge or mental models that we have. And so it's not really trustworthy. So looking into just the immediate future for artificial intelligence, what can people reasonably expect? Because, you know, you talk to some people and they'll tell you that the world is going to be fundamentally changed and that intelligence is going to spread through the universe in 20 years. And so what is a reasonable expectation about all of it? I think that we'll continue to see progress in this area of deep learning where AI is quite good at rather narrow tasks. But if the environment changes, that's something that it may have trouble adapting to. This is the paradox of AI. It's going to be extremely good, maybe even superhuman in these narrow areas, but very bad at being more general or thinking abstractly, these things that we're very good at, we haven't yet cracked with AI. Yeah, and I personally find that to be just completely true in the field of finance, that there's a huge amount of hype. You have people putting together all sorts of models, but in the end, there's not very much difference in the outputs than what we already are able to do, because so much of it is based on prior patterns, and patterns do change in the future, especially in something like the economy. You know, it's not perfect by any means, but it's gotten a lot better than I ever thought it could, just based on kind of brute force. But in some ways, it's hardly progressed at all on big problems of, as you say, abstraction, analogy making, some of the things that I think are absolutely key to our own human intelligence. One of the things that a lot of people are now looking at even more closely than before is child development, how babies learn. And they don't learn at all in the same way that computers learn. So there's now a big new buzzword in AI, which is common sense. How do babies attain (laughs) Uh the kind of common sense knowledge of the world that underlies everything we do in later life? They're able to learn pretty complex concepts from just a few examples, not from millions of examples. 
I can attest to that. Uh, my four-year-old outwits me pretty routinely. Yeah. Where do you go next? What are you going to be working on? So I'm actually going to the Santa Fe Institute for a year. I'm going to be working on a few things. One is to bring together people in different disciplines who are thinking about intelligence. And we'd like to think about how do people in different disciplines think about intelligence? How do we bring that all together? And what does that mean for artificial intelligence and how we should approach artificial intelligence? My guest today has been Dr. Melanie Mitchell. Melanie, thank you again. Ah, thanks so much. This has been quite fun. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Professor Melanie Mitchell. Thanks again to Melanie, and thank you all again for listening. Wherever you might be hearing The Well-Read Investor, please let us know what you think. Comment, like, subscribe, it really does help us. Or visit our website, wellreadinvestor.com, for more information. We return every other Wednesday, and our next episode continues our mini-theme on artificial intelligence and economics. Joining us on July 15th is Professor Joshua Gans discussing his latest book, Prediction Machines, The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence. Josh takes the basics that Melanie taught us today, but puts it in the context of the economy and the wider markets. It should be a great conversation. And until then, may all of your reading profit your mind and your money. Take care. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2020.